You obviously know Kung Fu. Hey, what's up? It's Ernie Reyes Jr. from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and you're listening to Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. Adjust your speaker box, sit back, relax, and remember, your Kung Fu may be good, but mine is better. <laughs> When the men of the highly respected and fiercely loyal Yang family are slaughtered in battle, the women they leave behind rise up to avenge their kin and defend their homeland. But when their country proves to be not as loyal, will the skill and tactics of these warriors be enough to lead a ragtag army into battle against the Mongol hordes? Welcome to the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vita, and in this episode, why settle for just one Wonder Woman when you can spend time with the 14 Amazons? The 14 Amazons is a 1972 Wuxia classic from the Shaw Brothers, which features a predominantly female cast, including Ivy Ling Po, Lisa Liu, and Lily Ho. The story centers around the female members of the historical Yang family, which was a military family known throughout ancient China and the Song Dynasty for their loyalty and bravery in defending the country from invading armies. This is a beast of a movie, running at about two solid hours, but it's as epic in scope and story as it is in runtime. For anyone who's not familiar with the wuxia genre, at its most basic, it's a film style that focuses on a heroic figure's journey, often involving grand settings and often blending the action with elements of fantasy or mysticism. If you've seen Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, then you've seen the most successful Western debut of a classic wuxia tale. Unless you think that skipping across treetops is a skill you can pick up from some YouTube videos, but hey, I don't judge. I also don't envy your hospital bill. This picture is based on the famous classic, The Loyal Family of Yang. The fanatical Yang generals for generations died for their country. In their patriotic defiance of death, they fought many a glorious battle. As the old ones fell, their successors rose up. The last of the Yang generals was Yang Chung Pa, who fought the invasion of Xixia. Battling continuously for three days and nights, he maintained the traditional spirit of the Yang. He was finally ambushed by the enemy. Our movie opens up smack dab in the middle of this epic battle. The bloody bodies of the Yang army litter the plains, and General Yang, not looking in the best of shape, is being tended to by some of his lieutenants. When the general learns that his regiments have all been pretty much wiped out, he gets up, after having a spear yanked from his leg, and orders his two men to go back to the emperor, or as they say in this dub, the king, and seek reinforcements, while he stays behind and continues to fight, knowing full well that it's a suicide mission. His men are reluctant to leave him behind, but the general pleads to their patriotic duty, and he leaves them with some final instructions. Brother, brother, it's been a long time, five years since we left. Please convey my greetings to the Grand Duchess. Brother, tell my wife she's not to mourn for me. But bring up my son well. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. One of those lieutenants is Fan Mei Sheng, who we've seen before in Magnificent Butcher and Ricky O. But as the lieutenants leave, the Mongol army appears over the hill, led by Tian Feng as the king of the Asia Xia, Wang Wen. You might recognize Tian Feng from the role as one of Bruce Lee's teachers in Fist of Fury. Accompanying him are his five sons, 
The Fifth of Witch is played by Kung Fu legend Lo Li. Now, we've seen Lo Li before in The Five Fingers of Death and as Pai Mei in Clan of the White Lotus and the movie we did just the last episode, Executioners of Death. The massive Mongol army surrounds the wounded Yang and his few remaining soldiers, and the Mongol king offers General Yang a deal. The deal involves leaving his Yang army behind and joining his ranks. That, of course, goes about as well as expected. Fight scene. The Mongols charge and very quickly subdue what's left of Yang's army. When Yang again refuses to yield, the Mongols brutally cut down his soldiers while he watches. They use their bladed staffs to hook into the bodies of two soldiers and drag them through the dirt, leaving a bright red trail behind them as the Mongols look on and laugh. Yang himself gets up and tries to put on a last stand, but he takes several arrows straight on, and then we get a dark freeze frame as a spear plunges deep into his gut. A short while later, the Mongols have cleared out, but they leave behind the body of General Yang, propped up by spears and arrows in the same position he died in. Eyes open and all, looking over the bloody field of his decimated army. We then cut over to the Yang household where the Grand Duchess, or the great-grandmother of the Yangs, played by Lisa Liu, is hosting a party for General Yang's birthday even though he's been at the front for the last five years. She asks his wife, Mu Kui Ying, played by Ivy Ling Po, to lead the toast in honor of her husband. Kui Ying makes the toast first to great-grandmother and then proceeds to move around the large hall, toasting every one of her aunts, cousins, sisters-in-law, etc. in attendance, totaling about 14 women. Great-grandmother then asks Kui Ying's son, Wen Kuang, to distribute some decorative flowers for the various women to wear in their hair in honor of the soldiers. Now, point of order, Wen Kuang, the son, is the last heir of the Yang clan, and here he's played by Lily Ho, who is very clearly a woman. Now, this was typical of wuxia films made in that era, like Come Drink With Me, where Cheng Pei Pei played the male role of Golden Swallow. Just outside the main party hall, Kui Ying is interrupted by the two soldiers sent from the front who approach her with some bad news. Our armies have been defeated. Worst of all, the marshal was killed. Eventually, the news rips through the hall, and one by one, the women begin to discard the flowers from their hair. Wen Kuang collapses in his mother's arms, but she already has a plan in mind. My lady, he must be revenged for honor's sake. Great-grandmama, a powerful matriarch in her own right, sends word to the emperor right away. Later, in a quickly arranged meeting, great-grandmother meets with the war minister who conveys his sympathies on behalf of the emperor. She, however, has other matters in mind. She suggested to the emperor that they send reinforcements immediately to take back the borders that her Yang clan has been defending. Unfortunately, the war minister tells her that the emperor has calculated that they don't have the troops, and even if they did, the enemy is far too strong. Grandmama is incensed at the lack of urgency and points out that they have at least half a million troops in reserve ready to go. The war minister counters that with no general, the reserves have no leadership. You provide the troops and we'll provide the general. Who? Me. You? You're a bit old for active duty without disrespect. <laughs> You're quite wrong. An incredulous war minister argues everything from age to gender, but... The women stand their ground based on their being Yangs and having been raised on the battlefields themselves. The final insult comes when the war minister accuses the women of wanting to fight for all the wrong reasons. He accuses them of wanting to fight not for the defense of the country, but for simple revenge. Minister, you said we want revenge. Well, you're right. But it's only our country's honor we want to revenge. The minister coldly shrugs her off and heads out, leaving the women to ponder their next move. Grandmama makes a play to go see the emperor himself, and the women with her profess their willingness to go into battle with no hesitation. 
Grandma Ma promises to lead the army into battle, but Yang's son, Wen Kuang, is meant to be left behind because he's too young. He, of course, is completely against this idea and pleads his case to his mother. When one of the other women defends his choice to go, Grandma Ma offers up a test to see just how ready he really is for battle. Fight scene. We cut to an open floor where Wen Kuang is handed a spear and preps himself for the test. The surprise here is that the person testing him will be his own mom. Mother and son let the spears fly with both showing considerable skill. Mom is clearly more accomplished, though she lets her son dictate the pace while she's content to just counter. There's some nifty camera work here as we switch from POV to bird's eye view and back again, which lends the scene some added tension. After only a few passes, Wen Kuang stumbles a bit from exhaustion, but Mom doesn't go in for the kill just yet. Instead, she urges him to get up and keep fighting. It's got to be a tough dilemma for her because on one hand, she wants her son to prove that he's a great and skilled warrior, but on the other, she doesn't want him to be sent into battle with her. As the fight continues, Mom keeps coaching her boy through every thrust and parry. Wen Kuang stumbles one more time, but this time he begs his mom to help him. She initially refuses, saying that it's for his own good, but after he gets pinned to the wall and tearfully begs for a chance to fight, Mom relents and throws the rest of the match. Grandmama is pleased, but she's no dummy. He won, but you did let him win. But I understand how you feel. Wen Kuang is qualified to join us in battle. Wen Kuang is overjoyed at the idea of being able to rush into battle with an army of 14 women who haven't seen much actual combat and who by all rights will perish in wholesale slaughter, but don't you just envy the exuberance of youth? In the next scene, we see the 14 Yang women suited up for battle with a fairly formidable army behind them. Grandma Ma explains that they're going into this battle against superior numbers, but she reminds everyone of the Yang clan's bravery and tugs on their patriotic heartstrings to stir them up. Several citizens actually beg to join the army, which Grandma Ma happily accepts. Some of the town elders come out to pay their respects and praise the women for their bravery, but all the good vibes get tamped down when the war minister arrives on the scene. He's a bit peeved that the Grand Duchess has built up an army for herself and postures in the name of the king that only he has the authority to command an army as decreed by possession of the royal sword. But Grandmama shuts that noise down when she produces the dragon staff and threatens to beat the war minister down. The war minister reminds her that the penalty for striking him is death to her whole family, except for one tiny little detail. That dragon staff once belonged to the former emperor. And the possession of it puts her above the law. So she essentially tells the war minister that her stick is bigger than his, so he best check himself, lest he succumb to some self-inflicted wreckage of epic proportions. When the minister tries to beat a hasty exit, he gets surrounded by the Yang women and charged with treason against his country. Grandma Ma starts dishing out a beating with the dragon staff until another official pleads for leniency. Grandma Ma relents and gathers her troops and orders them to roll out, but not without a final statement from the war minister. Let them all go to their doom! What is the Potter family? Hey, y'all. It's Juliette Miranda from the Unwritable Rant Podcast. This is Michael Vasquez of the No Soundbites Allowed Podcast. I'm James Hatton. I'm Podcast Rob from the Something Something Cast. This is Knock from the Geek Yogurt Podcast. This is Jeff with the Kung Fu Drive-In Podcast. This is Daniel from the Toe on the Trigger Podcast. This is Dave from the Parlapod Podcast. Hey, guys. This is Mike from the Mike Jolet Show. Woo! We're Josh and David from the Scotch and Flicks Podcast. We are you podcasters coming together in a community to help one another grow so follow us on twitter at potter family use the hashtag potter family in your tweets and retweet other people who do the same potter family 
where great podcasts come home. Later at camp, while the Yangs plot out how to outflank the enemy and attack the rear, we venture into enemy territory in the middle of a gladiator-type combat scene where Bolo Young plays a Mongol brute who's having his way with a prisoner. Bolo's biting into the guy's shoulder and throwing him around while his fellow Mongols hoot and holler around him. Bolo kills the guy with a stomp to the chest while the Mongol king looks on in approval and then sends in some female prisoners for Bolo to enjoy however he sees fit. One of the women resists and slaps at Bolo, which angers him to the point that he calls for a sword and swiftly cuts the girl down where she stands. Now, given that the girl is now little more than a torn up bloody heap on the ground, you'd think the barbarians would move on, right? No. We'll turn the clothes off. Let's see her anyway. So Bolo, licking his lips lasciviously, starts to cut away the clothes on this poor dead girl. But before he can go any further, a slave rushes out to cover her up again, prompting a boot from Bolo for his insolence. This slave, Lu Shen, is played by Yu Hua, who we featured before in Come Drink With Me, where he played Drunken Cat. We learn that he's been a slave for 10 years, and Lo Li as the fifth son explains to him why he's in the wrong. You interfered with his fun just now. And the king ordered that. He calls for Lu Shen's sister to be brought out before them to make it up to Bolo. Lu Shen protests, so Lo Li offers him a deal. If he fights Bolo and wins, both he and his sister go free. However, since Lu Shen's a slave, he'll have to use his bare hands while Bolo will have access to whatever weaponry he deems necessary. And, before the combat even begins, Bolo gets to whip Lu Shen across the chest a few times to open up some nasty gashes and weaken him for the battle. With Lu Shen doubled over and bleeding heavily, one of the Mongols places a bowl of water under his dripping wounds to collect some blood. When the bowl is sufficiently thick and red, the soldier offers the bowl to Bolo, who stirs it up, tastes it, then greedily drinks down the fresh hemoglobin cocktail. Fight scene. Armed with a bladed staff, Bolo simply toys with Lucian in the decidedly one-sided battle. Lucian can't even dodge effectively and takes several body blows from the blunt end of Bolo's staff. After getting knocked face down into the dirt, Lucian suffers another indignity when Bolo actually sits on him and plays to the Mongol crowd. Lucian summons up whatever he's got left and throws Bolo just for a second, which only earns him another savage beating. Bolo kicks Lu Shen over towards a ledge where he continues stomping on him for a bit and then kicks him off the ledge where he then jumps down after him. But here Lu Shen turns the tables. Before Bolo can land, Lu Shen sweeps his feet out from under him, causing him to fall back hard onto his head. While Bolo's weak and disoriented, Lu Shen gets him into position where he delivers a swift kick to the nads. Lu Shen keeps piling on the hits, kicks, and stomps until Bolo finally collapses. Exactly as he planned it. With Bolo down for the count, Lu Shen stumbles back to the court to claim his victory and his freedom, but just before the king can say anything, a messenger arrives announcing the presence of the Yang troops nearby. Sometime later, while the Mongols are planning their response, Lu Shen decides to ride out to warn the Yangs. Somehow he's just going to get out, knowing full well that if he got found out, it would mean the death of his sister. His sister, however, is all for the plan, sensing that there's no escape for either of them anyhow, and maybe, just maybe, Lucian can use his skills as a swordsman to one day give their Mongol captors a little bit of payback. Leaving her behind, Lucian races off on horseback into the mountains towards the Yang camp. Later upon approach, sentries converge on him, calling him a spy. Several of the Yang women rush up the hill and exchange steel with Lucian, who fights back only half-heartedly while trying to declare his innocence. Kui Yang steps in and orders a ceasefire, giving Lucian a chance to explain who he is and why he needs to talk to their leader. 
They've set an ambush for you. In the mountains. Grandma Ma is initially distressed by the news and suggests rerouting their attack so they don't go charging right into the lion's mouth. However, her soldiers argue that it'll take too long and they've got no fear of going right at the enemy. We then cut to a narrow mountain pass that Kuei Ying must lead her sister soldiers through. The pass is protected by a number of Mongol soldiers with Bolo, apparently fully recovered from his beating, among them. They lie in wait and watch the Yang army make their way towards them. After Liu Shan rides ahead to scout the area, he explains that they're walking into a trap. Kuei Ying decides to employ a bit of tactical deception and orders the army forward, but just before they enter the passage, she has one of her soldiers fake an injury by throwing a fit. As she collapses, the Mongols hold their fire to wait for them to get deeper into the passage. Meanwhile, Lu Shen and a few others peel off and start climbing up towards where the Mongols are stationed. When they reach a section of the mountains that looks impassable, one of the Yang soldiers shows off her ingenuity by unscrewing her spear and using the halves to scale the sheer face of the cliff wall Adam West Batman style. At the top, she tosses down a rope for the others. Meanwhile, the Mongol general gets tired of waiting and orders the assault on the Yang, but as soon as he gives the order, from over a ridge behind them comes the Yangs to give him hell. Fight scene. Here's an epic battle between the two armies. In the valley, Kuei Ying tries to get her army through the pass, but has to avoid flaming arrows and catapults in the process. Up top, the Yangs are cutting through as many Mongols as they can, but it's chaos for everybody. One Yang Amazon does her best to stop an artificial avalanche from falling on her sisters and has to fight the Mongol general to do it. Unfortunately, the battle winds up raging on the netted rocks themselves and she can't escape before the whole mess comes tumbling down. The Yangs eventually do make it through the passage, but with lots of casualties. Several Mongols follow them through and they go right after them. Severely outnumbered, the small Yang garrison gets subdued and the general orders that they be put to death by throwing them into a fire burning nearby. We lose several of the Yang army to the flames before reinforcements arrive. Lu Shang and Kuei Ying take turns mowing down the Mongols and even Wen Kuang gets into it, throwing the steel around and tossing a few Mongols into the flames himself. Elsewhere, the rest of the Yang army is moved into the forest where the Mongols continue to give chase. The forest free-for-all winds up costing many Yang lives as the Mongols just overwhelm them with numbers. Another small garrison protecting Grandma Ma winds up getting sniffed out by some Mongols and they can do nothing but protect their leader. This is a weapons extravaganza. Spears and swords and staffs all rip across the screen, taking several lives with them. Grandmama's personal bodyguard winds up falling to a sword, which leaves Grandmama exposed. But this is Grandmama we're talking about here. She clashes with the Mongols, working her sword and staff, but eventually even she has to stand down when the numbers get too much for her. Once she's subdued, the Mongol general orders a ceasefire so they can take Grandmama captive. Probo! Sushi Jackknife is a weekly show about depressed children's characters, dead soul of my mother that lives in the moon, and uh, <laughs> an apathetic Jorge shook his head no and walked off. Christmas Tubaman. You've been brought here on a mission of the most high import Tubaman. Planets of miserable slugs. So on this giant slug planet, I can't get over this idea. Giant slug planet. I, I, I really, there's one musical slug, just one? Just one. Just one? Yeah. And do his song for me. And, he, and he just... He only plays it to torment the other slugs. Super bananas from the past. He's a super banana from the past. He's from the past. He went to the future, but he's from the past. Walmart haiku. At last, dreams come true. Bullets, hot pockets, nose spray. All in the same place. <laughs> Original games. Number two. Yes. Who said it? Garrison Keeler or Lil Wayne? Uh huh. A girl in a bikini is like having a loaded pistol on your coffee table. 
There's nothing wrong with them, but it's hard to stop thinking about it. But that's what I'm saying. No, dude. It's Garrison Keillor! Sushi Jackknife is over 50 episodes strong and as binge-worthy as The Vicar of Dibley. No one knows what that is. You're, you're right. I mean... No one knows. I mean, I know what it is. Is it necessary that people know what it is? Well, I mean, you just referenced an obscure British sitcom that no one watched. I mean, I watched it. You are literally... The <laughs> the people on the show didn't watch it. Yeah. Anyway. The opening was a hymn. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like a lot of people know about hymns. No, but... I, I, no one cares. Okay. <laughs> well, if you want, if it like comes around, like listen to Sushi Jackknife. We're on iTunes and Stitcher and... Yeah. Yeah. Faced with the prospect of losing their leader, the Yangs lay down their arms and allow themselves to get caught, while the Mongols wait on Kui Ying and her crew to arrive. While they set up their ambush, the general orders one of his men to go around and disarm all the Yangs. The soldier complies, and we see that it's actually Fan Mei Sheng, in disguise. He moves to the Yang troops, and as he's taking their weapons, he whispers that Kui Ying is actually already there, and is poised to attack. Unfortunately, the general isn't as stupid as he's believed to be, because as the disguised Yang soldier finishes his round... The general walks over and calls him out on his deception. It seems he gave himself away by not wearing the right boots. So to explain, the Mongol army wears a distinctive uniform that frankly would feel right at home at the North Pole. They all look like Santa, essentially, complete with a curlicue hat with white trim. Instead of the red boots, Fan Mei Shang stuck with his plain old black boots and it blew his cover. The general hands him a few cracks to the skull and presses him for some info, but he gets a response that he probably didn't want. I brought a message. Kui Ying says, you can all go to hell. The general starts cutting down all the disguised Yang soldiers, which enrages Wen Kuang. He rushes forward and defiantly mouths off to the Mongols. They threaten him with disembowelment if he doesn't give up Kui Ying, but he won't budge. As one general raises his axe, Kui Ying comes swinging in on a rope with sword in hand and starts chopping down Mongols with every pass. The confusion frees Grandmama, who gets right back into it. Other Amazons start flying in from the trees with their swords cutting through anyone in their way. Here we get a little more of that wuxia action as several fighters seem to fly directly at their enemies as a form of attack. When a number of Mongols surround Kui Ying, she unleashes a mighty spin that rips effortlessly through the horde like a blunder. Elsewhere, Wen Guang takes a few soldiers and chases after some Mongol generals who are trying to escape. A little cocky, they press after their prey only to run into a waiting battalion of archers led by Lo Li. A few arrows to his troops' eyes later, and Wen Kuang finds himself in serious trouble. Luckily, Mama and Lu Shen arrive to give what little backup they can offer. Sit down. Mike Kui Ying, listen, I once shot 19 arrows into your husband. Well, then it seems I'm going to have to finish the family off. I've got six arrows left now. Three for you, and the other three are for your son. Wen Kuang goes all hothead and wants to rush in, but both Lu Shen and Kui Ying order him to stand down. Instead, Mama Bear steps up and draws Loli's fire. She leaps her way across the terrain, avoiding all the shots, but after five hours miss their mark, she gets right up in front of Lee and stares him down, daring him to fire that last shot. She leaps up and corkscrews in the air, but Loli's arrow seems to land dead center in her chest anyway. When she lands, she's clutching the arrow to her chest while Loli mocks her with claims of his dastardliness. Now then, go join your husband. You see, they're poison arrows I use. I know you're good, but you're not that good. So then this time you're finished. One of Lee's lieutenants asks to deal the killing blow, but when he's poised to bring the hammer down, Kui Ying flicks her spear, gouges his eyes out, then runs him through. She then smirks over to Lo Li, who looks confused. Kui Ying stands up and pulls the arrow away from her to reveal that she just trapped it and is completely unharmed. Fight scene. Lo Li laughs off the deception and all but dares Kui Ying to kill him. He even sits down on a rock and gives her a free shot. 
Before she takes her swing, though, she asks him where the first arrow landed in her husband's body. When he indicates his chest, Quang declares that that's where she's going to strike as well. As she comes in for the kill, Lo Li rolls away, then snaps the drawstring from his bow, which lashes out and cuts across Quaying's chest. Quaying stumbles back, bloodied, as Lo Li takes his turn. He attacks with a spear, which is met with equal skill and ferocity by Quaying, and even on her back, she's able to fend off his moves and even disarms him. Now without a weapon, Lo Li retreats and leaps off a cliff onto the back of his waiting horse. I'll get you yet! Back at the Mongol palace, the king is miffed at having been defied so openly by the Yang women. He orders Lo Li to kill all remaining prisoners so that the Yangs get the message. Tied to a stake is Lu Shen's sister, who's being forced to watch the executions. He tells her that she's going to die slowly, cut into a thousand pieces. Another slave girl steps up and paws on the abuse. She said it would serve her right to die for getting them all in trouble, and then asks that she be able to make the first cut. Not one to turn down some good drama, Lo Li gives her a knife, but can only stand by and watch as she stabs her fellow slave through the gut, killing her instantly and sparing her from a long, drawn-out death. She then turns the knife on herself to avoid the same fate. Incensed, Lo Li orders that everyone be cut down and he'll get the others in a matter of time. So, quick note here, which I found funny. If you've got this movie, cue it up to the scene and watch the soldiers scramble to start killing the slaves. Over to the left of the screen, there are three guys hacking away at a slave and presumably they need to sell it to the camera that they're doing some nasty wet work. However, keep your eye on the guy in the back because instead of trying to sell anything, he hilariously just stands there windmilling his arms nowhere near the body and with all of the effort of a brain-dead sloth. That guy was definitely like the director's idiot nephew or something. Meanwhile, what's left of the Yang troops is busy scrounging for whatever they can to survive. They're looking more ragtag than royal, but Kuei Ying tries to keep them together. They subsist on bitter tea while they plan their next phase, and at this point they're so hungry that they briefly consider eating the horses, but Kuei Ying shoots that idea down. For now. One of the guards has even trapped a dog and plans on killing and eating it, but one of the elders stops that nonsense and lets the dog free. With morale low, and against the wishes of Grandmama, the old man and a few others decide to go on an ill-advised raid on the enemy's food stores. That night, the small group makes their way to the enemy camp where they train in on the granary. They use some long bamboo poles to stab into the bags and redirect the rice to their waiting comrades. Unfortunately, one of the Mongol guards gets woken up and alerts the others. Instead of attacking, however, the Mongols decide to tail them back to the camp. One of the Yang women falls behind and spots them on her six, so she drops into the weeds and does what she's got to do. Fight scene. The lone soldier takes on about a half dozen Mongols. Her sword holds them off for a little while until Wen Kuang comes back to give her a hand. The Mongols can't keep up with both fighters and fall quickly, allowing them to gather their things and move ahead. Meanwhile, at the bridge, a few dozen more Mongols try to get the drop on the rest of the Yang, but they're ready and waiting and they put on a clinic, cutting down the much slower and less organized group of Mongols. They even manage to take one hostage. But back behind the line, Wen Kuang and his partner get jumped by another set of soldiers, and while Wen Kuang is able to get clear and show off some nifty spear work, the other Yang is not so lucky and gets sliced up quite a bit. The next morning at the camp, the army has to get on the move or risk another lopsided battle. Unfortunately, Wen Kuang and the girl are nowhere to be found. Kui Ying's got to make the tough decision to either leave her only son behind or get her army safely on the move so they can finish their revenge mission. Of course, she chooses to lead the army through, so, so much for all that maternal instinct. If you think I'm kidding about that, consider this. Lu Shan offers to stay behind and wait for Wen Kuang, even if it could mean certain death for him. I would think that any mother would at the very least accept this offer in lieu of abdicating her authority and staying behind herself, but what does Kui Ying say? We need you as a guide. That's more important, much more. Come on! Luckily for mom, just as they're about to head out, 
Wen Kuang shows up with his injured partner in tow, and Grandma Ma is initially pissed that they disobeyed orders and snuck out to nick some food. She even pronounced the death penalty for the girl, but was convinced to let this one slide. Unfortunately, the girl succumbs to her wounds anyway, and rudely bleeds out all over the newly acquired bags of rice. What's up everybody, this is your man Adam from the Mike Kings Podcast, telling you guys to give us a listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and follow us on Twitter, at the Mike Kings. We talk about pop culture, movies, games, TV shows, anything that's interesting to today's millennials. Give us a listen. I promise you'll enjoy it. We appreciate it. Thank you. Fight scene. The group doesn't get much of a chance to mourn because a pair of Mongols have tailed them all the way to the camp and get into it with Lu Shen and another Yang sister. They trade off with their spears and arrows, but the Yangs make quick work of these guys. Unfortunately, before they ice the one spy, they learn that the Mongol horde is very close and they're thirsty for blood. Guai Ying, knowing that it's too late to make a run for it, opts for another tactic. We'll play a game of hide and seek. When the Mongols reach the camp moments later, they find it deserted. In a lone tent, there seems to be some movement, so the Mongol general orders his archers to fire right into it. From outside, the Mongols hear some muffled moans. They decide to burn the tent to the ground, but when we move into the tent, we see that the moans are actually coming from captive Mongols, and they're getting skewered and roasted alive by their own army. They take off after the Yangs, but as they leave, Guai Ying and her troops emerge from the forest and regroup to head into the hills. They make their way to a massive chasm spanned by a rickety old wooden bridge. As they start to move towards the bridge to cross, they spot the Mongols on the other side who set the bridge on fire and take off. The Yangs, in a panic, head for the bridge and in a ridiculous sequence, rush across the bridge to try to put the fire out. Some of the Yangs start rolling across the planks trying to smother the flames, others try to stomp it out while Lu Shen and a few others swing under the bridge and dangle by one hand while slapping at the flames with their clothes. With most of the flames extinguished, the army starts pushing across even as some planks start breaking underfoot. The fire eventually burns through one of the bridge ropes, sending a number of soldiers plummeting into the chasm below and dividing the troops. Wen Kuang happens to be in this group, but he and another soldier manage to hang on to the tattered rope. Lu Shen quickly improvises and ties a vine to an arrow, which he shoots over towards Kui Ying on the other side of the chasm. She casually catches the arrow out of the air and ties the vine around a post. Wen Kuang and the other soldier try to swing onto the lifeline, but only Wen Kuang succeeds while the other drops into the mists. Okay, now, up to this point, this bit of wuxia really hasn't strained credulity all that much. There were a few extended jumps, some crazy spins, and a tiny little bit of flying, but all of that can be forgiven in the name of Kung Fu. Well, this scene is going to lay claim to all the crazy in this film. So let's reset. The bridge is burned away, splitting the army in two on either side of a deep chasm. The Mongol army is on their tail, so things look grim. Now, instead of splitting up and regrouping elsewhere, Guiyin gets hit with a brilliant idea. I know. A human bridge. Bridge? Hmm. So, have you seen the Lego Batman movie? If not, I'm going to spoil it for you, but... In that film, the big climax calls for all of the Lego people to climb up on one another's shoulders, then fall towards one another over this growing void, and then pull to snap their world back together. This is a direct inspiration for that scene. Kuei Ying orders the troops to form human towers on either side of the chasm, which, by the way, they do without question or effort, and once the towers are tall enough, they fall and catch each other, forming a human bridge over which the rest of the army walks to get to the other side. Eventually, a good number make it across, but the Mongols finally catch up, so some of the Yangs have to peel away to hold them off. Fight scene. This is a straight-up free-for-all that gets fairly graphic at times. Swords, spears, and staffs cut through the air while wave after wave of Mongols seems to crash down against the Yangs. 
They do what they can to hold them off, while Grandmama and her garrison are the last to try and make it across the human bridge. One of the Angs actually gets sliced in half, with her torso literally flying several feet from her legs, while a suicidal last stand is mounted by a few more soldiers who lock arms to prevent the Mongols from getting any further. Each time one of them falls, the soldiers just pull tighter together. Meanwhile, the bridge has done its job, so the one side releases and swings down towards the chasm wall, and one by one, the person at the very bottom has to climb their way to the top. Kudos to all the abs that had to get shredded for that bridge to work. At the new camp, we see that the hit that Kui Ying took earlier seems to be taking its toll. She's weak and in pain, but she plays it on the DL to not worry anyone else. While she's outside saying a silent prayer to her husband, she notices the dammed up water and is immediately inspired. She wants to use the river to cover their tracks and prevent some Mongols from getting any closer. There's just one slight complication with this plan, though. Like a lot of the plans we've seen implemented thus far, it's a suicide mission. It will have to be axed. We must cut through it no other way. Right. And when the water breaks through, those standing in front will be swept away. At some point, someone's got to step up and question the leadership strategy. And yet, five Yang soldiers, one of them being Fan Mei Sheng, steps up and offer themselves up for the greater Yang good. Back at the Mongol palace, the captured Yang prisoners are about to be a source of sport for the horde. Lo Li is given free reign to do whatever he wants with them, so he produces a whip and starts cutting away at two Yang women's faces. They stand their ground even as he licks their blood off the whip. He starts laying into them with his whip and eventually chops one of their heads off, and then rather skillfully spears it in midair and pins it to a post. A Mongol lieutenant then casually lops off three more prisoner heads that pop up into the air, and Lo Li quickly whips out three arrows and pins them all one by one to a wall, too much cheering from his fellow Mongols. But just outside the walls, the rest of the Yangs have started to gather, and in another human construction exhibition, build another tower which they use to climb into a guard post. They force the guard to sound an alarm which would send a large number of troops to the front line. A suspicious Lo Li, however, isn't so easily swayed and decides instead to go check it out for himself. As he climbs into the tower, he sees nothing out of the ordinary, but urges the king to check with the other towers to make sure. But all the towers have been infiltrated by Yangs, and they all concur with the alarm that's been sounded. With the alarm confirmed, the troops roll out, leaving a much smaller force for the Yangs to deal with at the palace. Kui Ying leads everyone in just as the Mongol king is stepping into his tent. Kui Ying and the Mongol king go at it with their spears for a minute until the king backs off and orders that his troops take her alive. At that moment, the gates to the inner courtyard bust open and the Yangs spill in and face off against the Mongols. Now, this is the beginning of an epic sequence with dozens of soldiers on either side. The two armies get into position and there's a quiet moment where they just stand there as the camera pans across the assembly. The king breaks the silence by ordering that the troops be recalled, but Kui Ying is quick to point out that there's no way his troops will be able to cross back over the river. Kui Ying gives the order to attack, but the king stops her. If what you say about my troops not coming back is true, then there isn't any point in fighting now. Because in that case, all my sons and I will surrender our heads. Oh? If that will satisfy you. Go on, what else? My troops will leave, and they'll never invade this country again. Right. We'll wait and see. So they wait. And when the king hears the sound of horses, he starts to gloat a little bit. And we cut to Kui Ying, who started to worry that something's gone wrong with their plan. Then we join the Yang men at the dam as they're doing their best to burn it down. When that doesn't work, they resolve to breaking it down themselves. We get a very cool set of jump cuts as the Yang soldiers start to hack at the dam. Their impacts get intercut with the faces of the combatants back at the palace. And it sounds like a war drum as the axes land again and again, and it really builds up some tension for what promises to be a grand finale. After much effort, 
The dam finally collapses, washing away the Yang soldiers and roaring down the deep riverbed that the Mongols happen to be marching through. It's a scene of complete chaos as the Mongols start to panic and double back. Horses tumble over one another and soldiers stumble but they can't outrun the river as it comes bearing down on them and tosses them into a canyon. And at the palace, the cold realization settles on the king when the screams of his soldiers carry all the way there. All right. Yes, you heard that. So surrender yourself and your sons. Come and get me. If you can. Right. Final fight. The two armies let it all go and charge at one another and all you hear and see is metal on metal and blood splashing across the screen. There are a few freeze frames that focus on some bloody soldiers from both sides. The Mongols set up a shield line to protect their king, but the Yangs are relentless. Bodies fly all over the place as the momentum slowly starts to shift in the Yangs' favor. Kui Ying and her sisterhood cut through the line and make their way to Lo Li and the king, where they do battle above the courtyard. The king and Kui Ying get into a particularly brutal exchange that winds up leaving her bloody and weak, and yet she still manages to corner the king and run him through before throwing him off a ledge. Wen Kuang and Lu Shen, meanwhile, have chased down Lo Li and take turns giving him the business. Lo Li, as always, puts on a tough guy stance and shows just how hard he is to kill as he takes a spear to the gut and still fends off the Yang surrounding him. Only when he gets run through by a number of spears and arrows does he finally go out in an awesome bloody blaze of glory. You gotta see it. The 14 Amazons is available now on Google Play, so if you like strong women who have no trouble putting bad men in their place, give this a go, though keep in mind that it's a solid two hours straight, but it's a fantastical heroic adventure that's worth the time. James Mudge of BeyondHollywood.com said this film, quote, should certainly appeal to any Shaw Brothers fans and deserves to be far better known than it is. Will Koof of SilverEmulsion.com called it, quote, a great well-told story that's action-packed and a load of epic fun. It scored a 77% from its audience on Rotten Tomatoes, so if you can find the time, have at it. I'm going to call it a wrap here, gang, and as always, shout out me on the social media at KungFuDriveIn or email me at KungFuDriveIn at gmail.com. And if you're on Twitter, go follow the Potter and Family hashtag because they do so much for the show, and it's awesome to give a little bit back to the community. Quick note. On iTunes, I've got 29 great reviews from the U.S. and 3 from the U.K. According to my podcast stats, my biggest market, of course, is the U.S., but in spots 2 and 3 are Canada and France, respectively. How cool is that? In Canada, it's specifically the Quebec region, so I'm going to embarrass myself and make a plea right now to Quebec and France. Si vous aimez le Kung Fu Driving podcast, allez à iTunes et laissez-moi une critique. J'adore tous mes fans français. À la prochaine, Poison Clan. Pay. Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's warm. We smash the place up with a dragon claws. We're walking to the tea house, ready for some action. Drink a little wine and get a drunk and then we're fighting. Ha! This time it's warm. We smash the place up with a dragon claws. I see the iron fisted monk upon the daily prayers. Shouting monks on the hands, running down the thousand stairs. The fate of Lee Khan now's in King Yu's hands. With the fearless Aida roaming over the lands. Yeah, the little bitch soldier is older and wiser. He wants a world of peace because he doesn't want to fight. Yo, got the venom mob laying down the law, Bruce Lee delivered kicks, guaranteed to great jars, fight for the cars, then pass, hear the applause, not the end back kicks, will defeat the outlaws, very good, but more 
ghost don't hit back Yeah, the death jewels here, David D is coming back The Tai Chi master, Jet Li's even faster Bitch had a little dream because he is the drunken master Once upon a time in China Rosamund Kwan is real fine, but see Maggie chung his spine off Golden Swallow has arrived Shang Chi movies, will the hero we survive? We've got the brave archer, make his way to the top Of the mountain, gonna fight, may as well be the spot Yeah, the sky goes black, cause the vampire's back we got Lam Ching Ying to kill them all, so stand back He plays the black magic on the soul of the sword And our sword will travel until his body's on floors Yeah, Wing Chun Shaol in the mountain style Yeah, defeat the enemy and watch him run for miles Blood will spill now on the mountain tops When we bring back the soul of the legendary pops Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws We walk into the tea house ready for some action Drink a little wine, we get a drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war We smash the place up with a dragon claws See it's a game of death, yo You're facing the big boss It's once upon a time in China counting the TikTok The Shogun Assassin's Slash and Blood are just drip drop The head kick, neck drop, balance the bone stop Wanna kill Bill, better get the assassins He's got her just in yellow But she is in the dragon but in the tea rooms that's where it'll happen She got the bodies on the floor When the blood it'll splatter against the wall No fear at all To kill them all There's always blood spilled When you head into a war Fearless Unleashed The fist of legend that the car gently I'm Bolo Young, yo, I'll always be a beast You rumble in the Bronx, yo, I'm rumble in the streets And it's simple, see the facts are these There's only ever gonna be one Bruce Lee Welcome to the tea house, ready for some action Drink a little wine, we're getting drunk and then we're fighting Ha! This time it's war To smash the place up with a dragon claws We're walking to the tea house Ready for some action Drink a little wine